we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 14, verse 22. Or, we must enter the kingdom of God through many tribulations. No one, with the exception of Jesus Christ himself, probably understood that any better than the Apostle Paul. Please open with me tonight to Acts chapter 14. In Acts chapter 14, we trace one of Paul's journeys. Journey, uh, a journey in which Paul has been preaching the gospel. He's been preaching and doing the right thing, trying to tell people about Jesus, trying to tell people about this incredible God that we have. People hated him for it. It says in Acts chapter 14 and verse 19, Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. They came to where Paul was preaching. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. i got to tell you, they're pursuing Paul. They're chasing him all over the known world. And they show up, and they convince the crowds that he's preaching to, what a bad guy he is, and they stoned him. Now listen, if you're chasing him all over the place, and your objective is to stone him to death, and you stone him so bad that you believe he's dead, that's a pretty good whooping, ain't it? I mean, you want this guy dead. You're not leaving until you're convinced he's dead. And you have stoned him so hard that you are convinced you've accomplished that he's dead. You wouldn't leave until you were sure, because that's what your objective is, to get this guy no matter what. <coughs> you imagine how Paul, you're familiar with what they do in a stoning where they just take these stones and they just hit you with them until you're dead. And as they hit you, they open you up and you bleed and they break bones and, and they're all just whipping these stones at you and they're, they're, they're beating you into a bloody pulp with rocks. And they keep on stoning you like, like, like shooting a dog when he's down and stoning you and stoning you. It rips you up. Bruises and bleeding and broken bones. So convincing was his appearance that he was dead. They supposed him to be dead. However, verse 20, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up, went into the city. Next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derby. When he preached the gospel to that city, he made many disciples. They returned, this is critical, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They returned to the very place he was stoned. He's stoned, he looks dead. Gets up, gets into the city, travels out the surrounding region, and he comes back to the very place where he was stoned. Probably just a few days later. Let me ask you a question. You get that kind of stoning where your enemies who are out to get you believe you're dead. That's pretty severe. Are those wounds all going to heal up in a few days? No. Can you imagine what Paul must have looked like as he came back into the place where he was stoned, back into that very city? Can you imagine... I can, I can picture the Apostle Paul, even if it's been a week or so. I mean, they didn't have the hospitals we have today. And he's got bruises, he's got black and blues, he's got places where the skin is open, maybe even a broken bone here or there, maybe a broken, I don't know, but he's in pretty bad shape. But he walks back into the city. And he visits with the disciples there. It says, 
And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned, as we said, to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. How convincing do you think that was? Here's the Apostle Paul. He meets with the disciples, and he's all bruised and and still a mess, maybe a broken bone, but you can tell this man has taken a severe beating just recently. And he stands up before the disciples and he says, it's through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. Would that have been convincing? And here's a man who knew. He's standing there, a broken man, because he knows what struggle is for the kingdom. And he says, it's only through many struggles we must stand at the kingdom. I'll tell you, that man's words would have had an impact on me that morning. I say, boy, there's a guy that knows what he's talking about. Look at him. Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 29, he said he was in labors more abundant and stripes above measure and prisons more frequently than any of his other first century brethren. He knew what it was when he said, through many struggles we must enter the kingdom. He goes on in that very passage in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 29 to say, He'd been in death softened. Five times from the Jews, he had received the 39 lashes. You know why they didn't give 40 lashes, right? They figured that it would kill a person, so they wanted to stop one short. Paul said, I got that five times. Five times they did this to me. He says, three times I've been beaten with rods. They took baseball bats three times to me, he says. I was stoned once. Three times shipwrecked, and that doesn't count the one in Acts 27 and 8. That's prior to that. It was three times he was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. I've been in journeys often in perils of waters, perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen, perils of the Gentile, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, sleeplessness often, hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold, you can identify with that today, right? Sort of. Cold and nakedness, and besides the other things, what comes upon him daily, his daily concern for all the churches. He says at the end of that passage, who's weak and I'm not weak? He said, I have taken it. I have been through all of these things. No matter where he turned, there were troubles and trials. There was destruction. There was, there was beatings. There were turbulent and terrible tribulations. We must, Paul says, through many trials, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. And it's no different today. I mean, it's different in that we don't have to suffer the same types of persecutions that they did, and certainly not to that extensive level in those specific areas. But the Bible's still true, right? It is still through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom. We look around and there's a lot of troubles. There's trials, there's distress, Temptation, persecution, terrible things going on in our world. Turn on the evening news, look around. It's always been that way. Bad things may be going on at work, some of our homes. And it is through these many types of trials and tribulations that we must go to enter the kingdom. It is exactly these sorts of trials which empower us and enable us and strengthen us so that we can go into the kingdom. James 1, 2, and 3. 
The Apostle John in the book of Revelation wrote something that indicates the same thing. It is through these trials we must go as the gate into heaven, according to the Apostle John. And he, he tells us that in the book of Revelation. I want to share something with you tonight. It's not a gloom and doom sermon, I promise you. This is a sermon full of hope and joy and encouragement. I read some time ago some comments on Revelation 21 by Brother James Burton Kaufman that I want to share with you tonight to kind of form the center of this sermon. As we talked about the fact we must go through many trials, they are the gate through which we travel into the kingdom. I want to begin, before we talk about Brother Kaufman's thoughts, I want to begin with the text itself, obviously. Revelation 21, please turn there. Keeping in mind, the whole theme of tonight is that we must enter the kingdom through many trials. Revelation 21. Verses 1 through 7 read as follows. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God. And he shall be my son. At that point, the text, John, writing the text, continues on with a description of the city that he saw in this vision. Now granted, this is a vision. It's not to be taken literal, but it is a vision that John saw. And he continues on with the description of this beautiful city in verses 10 through 21. And if we were to read down through there, we would find the following. The walls of protection in this vision that he has, these walls of protection rise up on all four sides of the city. According to verse 17, they are 144 cubits high in this vision. Again, it is a vision. It's, sim it's symbolic language. But still, if we were to think of this, 144 has symbolic significance. But if we were to think of 144 cubits, that's 216 feet or 72 yards. Think of a football field. It's three quarters of a football field high. That's how high these walls are in this vision. And the walls, he says in verse 18, are jasper. Now, the phraseology in verse 11, where it says jasper stone as clear as crystal, has led a lot of commentators to believe, including Brother Kaufman, to believe that this is not the same colored stone that we call jasper today. 
because it's jasper stone, according again to verse 11, clear as crystal. So today when we think of jasper, it's, it's a more colored stone. It's not like glass. It's not crystal. This has led a lot of commentators to believe what he was actually talking about was a diamond. Diamond was the same term. And if you start to think about a diamond, and you look at how Jasper is described in verse 11, clear as glass, diamond makes sense. Think of the hardness of a diamond. One of the hardest substances, if not the hardest, known to man, at least occurring in nature. And so the idea here is these walls are impenetrable. They're beautiful, but they're impenetrable. Each of these four walls, 216 feet high, have three gates. And according to verse 21, each one of the gates is a single pearl. God's trying to draw a picture, a vision, using what we know as precious to show us how beautiful heaven must be, as we say. Now, I want you to think about this. You've got walls that are, if we were to be technical and literal, are, are the size we described, 72 yards high. Each one of them has these gates, and these gates are a single pearl. How big a pearl must that be? If people are going to go in here, how big? I mean, a pearl's got to be at least seven, eight feet high, probably a lot more than that. I mean, the walls, you know, these, these massive, huge, incredible, unthinkably big pearls. Maybe, maybe the section, I don't know how big, certainly big enough for all people and nations to pass through. So at least as high as that arch, maybe one pearl. Think about that. Think about the immensity of that pearl. Now, the only way into the city is through this gate that is a single pearl. What is the significance, especially in terms of our sermon title tonight, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom. What is the significance of the pearl being the gate through which we enter the kingdom? Lots of pressure is one. But you see, the pearl, whether it's lots of pressure or what makes a pearl, the pearl is a perfect illustration of that entrance that comes only through trials truth which God gave to John to give to his struggling children. <laughs> Consider with me first and foremost that a pearl is a sphere, round, like a basketball, like a ball. Okay? <clears throat> At the heart and soul of a pearl, at the heart and soul of its center, is an irritation. That's what makes a pearl a pearl. When an oyster gets this irritation, this aggravation, this problem, this troublesome thing, it begins to secrete a liquid called knacker, and this knacker kind of coats this irritation, this aggravation. And layer after layer come around this irritation and this aggravation. You know, sort of like those of us who have been sick and had that annoying pickle and couldn't do anything with it and tried to, you know, take cough syrup and all to coat it. Sort of like that. This incredible annoyance, this aggravation. And the knacker layers try to neutralize the aggravation by, by encasing it, by covering it, by engulfing it. And so layer upon layer, the pearl grows. At the heart and soul of the pearl's, 
the heart and soul of the pearl is an irritation, a trouble spot. Otherwise, a pearl would not exist. If it were not for the aggravation that causes it, a pearl would not exist. The pearl is significant that God uses it in this illustration, in this vision. The only way into heaven, brethren, listen up, is through a sphere at the heart, soul, and center of which is none other than something that causes pain, suffering, aggravation, and irritation. A pearl is therefore the perfect illustration that we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom. It is only through this earthly sphere of suffering that our faith responds and grows layer by layer like matter to overcome the suffering, to overcome the pain. As we have that aggravation and our, and our faith begins to grow and envelop and, and overcome the aggravation and our, our, our faith causes us to grow stronger and stronger. But at the heart of that is that aggravation that causes us to come to God and to rely on God and to trust God and, and to have faith in Him. And, and our faith grows and, and we're strengthened all because of that aggravation. What a beautiful picture that is. That's what makes us faithfully mature children of the living God, worthy to walk those golden and stress-free streets beyond the pearl, inside the city. Brother Kaufman had this to say, and, and this is where the beauty of, of this whole illustration comes together. Brother Kaufman said, the gates, each one a single pearl. What can this mean? It means that heaven will be a place for those who have overcome. A pearl is produced by a little sea animal's response to a tragedy. A pearl is the only gem that is made from suffering. Did you hear that? How apt is it that God uses a pearl as the gate? Through many trials, we must enter the kingdom. Brother Kaufman goes on to say, Heaven is a place, based on our text in Revelation 21, heaven is a place where there will be no more tears. But what could this mean to one who has never cried? Is that right? What is the promise of no more tears if you've never shed any? But if you shed tears, then you understand how precious that promise is, that heaven will be a place where that's not going to happen anymore. David said in Psalm 6, verses 6 and 7, he said, I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. David understood what it meant to cry hard at night, to empty his, his tears and his, his sorrow and drench his bed and his couch with tears. David understood what it meant to cry. Could David appreciate a place where it says, there's going to be no more tears? Could David? Yeah. See, a person who's never cried and had their heart broken couldn't really appreciate a place where there's no more tears. It's like, okay. Brother Kaufman goes on. He says, heaven is a place where there's no more sorrow, but who could appreciate this who's never had a broken heart? Again, I quote David from Psalm 34, verses 18 and 19. He says, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And he saves such as have a contrite spirit. 
Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them him out of them all. Did David know what it was like to have affliction? Yeah. Did David know what it was like to have a broken heart? Yeah. Read Psalm 51. David knew what it was like to have a broken heart. And so, how precious would the promise be to a man like David because his heart had been broken to hear of a place where God himself had assured that there'd be no more sorrow. The more sorrow you have in this life, the more you can appreciate, anticipate, and look forward to a place where that's not going to happen anymore. Doesn't that make heaven a special place? Brother Kaufman went on. Heaven is a place where there is no more death. But how could we appreciate this? Or, or he said, who can appreciate this like one who is buried out of sight, his beloved dead? <coughs> Heaven is a place where there is no more pain. But what would that mean to one who has never suffered? In the street of gold, what can that mean? It means that the yellow dust which people worship on earth shall at last have found its proper place underfoot in the eternal city. I gotta share this with you just because it's so appropriate. I'll be quick. I understand, you know, there's a lot of those jokes out there about people that don't understand the figurative language, you know, when you get to the pearly gates and St. Peter, they, they don't understand Peter's establishment of the church. I understand that. But this one line reminds me of the one of those stories, even though they're not biblically accurate. This guy that finds a way to take his gold with him in a sack and he gets to the pearly gate, and Peter said, Why'd you bring pavement? You know? Got plenty of that. Brother Kaufman says, In the tree of life, in the river of life, here are the fountains of eternal joy, unending bliss, security, salvation, and glory. Are we going to be secure inside those walls? Can we rest assured that sin is not going to enter through those gates? Can we rest assured the devil ain't getting in? Yeah. God's promises. There's security. There's hope. <coughs> There's beauty. There's promise. Brother Kaufman goes on to conclude with his points about this text in the following way. He says, The leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. Whatever affliction oppresses people on earth shall there be healed forevermore. The blind will not be blind there. The crippled shall walk there. The helpless shall be strong there. The sad shall be happy there. The old shall be young there. And the dead in Christ shall live there. And that's one of those beautiful promises for just a moment, if I may, about the dead in Christ living there, back up with me to Revelation 14 for just a moment. One of my favorite texts in all of the book of Revelation. I love this text. Revelation 14, just a couple of verses, talking about the dead in Christ living there. Revelation 14, verses 12 and 13. Look at this. Here is the patience of the saints. Brethren, we've got to be patient. Through all our trials and tribulations, it is through them that we enter the city. It is through them that we enter the kingdom. Whether we listen to the Apostle Paul in Acts 14, 22, or whether we, we listen to the Apostle John in Revelation 21, 1 and following. 
It is through the tribulations. But here's the beauty. It says in Revelation 14, verse 12, here's the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ Jesus, where there is no condemnation, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, if you are in Christ Jesus, where every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is yours, Ephesians 1.3, if you are in Christ, where there is redemption and grace and forgiveness, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 and following, if you are in Christ, it is a blessed thing when you pass from this life. Blessed are those who die in Christ, in the Lord, from now on, he says. That verse brings me comfort. What about you? <coughs> yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Final paragraph that I'll relate tonight from Brother Kaufman says this. One of the great restoration preachers lay dying in terrible suffering. And when a friend inquired, how are you doing? great restoration preacher said, I'm almost well. And in a moment he was dead. But that is exactly what he was talking about. Think of grasping a hand and finding it to be the hand of the Lord. Think about that. You're in terrible struggling and suffering. You're on your deathbed. And all of a sudden you take a hand and it is the nail-pierced hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or of breathing new air and finding it to be the celestial. Of being transformed and finding it immortality. Think of waking up and finding yourself home in the presence of Almighty God. This, my beloved Christians, is the Christian's homecoming. My beloved brothers and sisters, you see we are all making a journey. We are passing through our allotted probation. When we understand in this life that it is only through such spheres of suffering that we enter the kingdom. It is easy to see why the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10 says, Therefore, most gladly, Paul said, I am happy. Most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Say, Paul, what do you mean? I'll tell you what he means. He said, when I got that aggravation going on, and, and through faith I began to, to deal with it, and the layers grow, and I grow stronger. When I am weak, and that, that terrible thing happens, and that persecution, and my faith begins to grow, and layer up, and I get stronger, turns into something beautiful. Because I learned only through those trials how important it is that I lean on God and not myself. That is the purpose of those aggravations, of those issues, of those trials. It is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. Peter would echo that same thing in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9, and chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. <coughs> trials of the gate that we must go through into the kingdom. 
that work exactly? When we look all around us and all we see is problems, when we look around us and we see this happening in the news or that happening in school or that happening at home or this happening in the church, we see, we see all these, these things going on. How, how exactly does that work when all we see is nothing but storm? Brethren, here's how it works. If the only thing we're seeing is the storm, that means we've taken our eyes off of Jesus Christ. If the only thing we're seeing is the storm, it means we've taken our eyes off of Jesus. You remember Peter getting out of the boat? We pick on Peter, but he had the faith to get out of the boat. I don't know if I had that kind of faith. It was a stormy night. The open sea, Jesus asking me to walk on water. I see the other disciples saying, uh, uh, you go. <laughs> you know, sort of like we do in the church sometimes. Brother so-and-so will do it. He brought it up. But Peter gets out of the boat. And he, he takes those steps. He, he got a, we forget that. He got a few steps. Wouldn't it be cool to know that you were the one that took a few steps on that storm-top sea? That is just wow. But you see, the scripture tells us in that passage, but when Peter saw the storm, he began to sink. If all we see is the storm, and we're sinking, if all we see is the bad stuff, and the hard stuff, and the trial, and the aggravation, and we start to go down, and we start to go under, we start to sink and be depressed, and we're going down, what that means is, is we've taken our eyes off of Jesus. So as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus and he didn't look at the storm, he could walk on water. What it means if we're only seeing the storm is that we're walking by sight and not by faith. Turn to me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and following. Beautiful passage. Beautiful passage in light of our theme. We must, through many trials, tribulations, into the kingdom. It is only through them that we gain the strength, only through those aggravations that we gain the strength to make it home and trust God enough to make it there. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Look what Paul writes to our brethren in first century Corinth in Christ there. He says this. Sorry, 2 Corinthians 4. That'll make a lot more sense. Got my Corinthians cross. What can I say? Second Corinthians chapter four, beginning at verse sixteen. Paul says, "Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction. Remember who wrote this? This is cool. Remember who wrote this? Paul. Remember what Paul has gone through? What does he call it? Ah, these little problems we go through." Really, Paul? Yeah, because you know he says in Romans 8? He says, Our light momentary afflictions are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. To Paul, all of those problems were little problems because they were nowhere near the magnitude of what awaited him. Isn't that awesome? So he says again, in verse 16, verse 17, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, if all we see in is the storm, then we've taken our eyes off of Christ. 
While we do not look at the storm, the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are only temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know, chapter 5 and verse 1, if our earthly house, this tent, he's talking about our body. If this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this, that is this body, this existence, we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven, if indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent, this body, this experience here, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us his spirit as a guarantee. So we're always confident. Paul, who went through all of that horrible stuff, said, we're always confident. Well, wait a minute, Paul. What about your shipwreck? Paul says, that light stuff doesn't even bother me. I'm so confident in God. I know what God has promised, and I trust him. I know, Paul writes, whom I believe. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Paul wrote that? Yes, he did. We sing it, but Paul wrote it. And Paul says, you know what? Even if they take our, our body, even if they destroy us, I, I don't worry about that. Why? Because we have a home, and I am confident. I am confident. I am confident as a Christian in what Jesus said in John 14, 1, 2, 3. I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and take you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Isn't that awesome? And Paul says, we're confident, always, verse 6, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, we walk by faith, not by sight. If all we see is the storm, we've lost sight of Jesus. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. He said, I trust God, no matter what comes. When all we see around us at every turn is nothing but storms, it means we focused on them and lost sight of Jesus. You know what else it means? It means that we're only looking at the gate. We're only looking at the pearl. We're only looking at that which has aggravation at its center. That's what we're looking at. We're only looking at the gate of the pearl. We're looking at that thing with struggling and suffering at its center, when what we ought to be doing is looking beyond that which has struggling at its center, beyond that gate, into the city that has God at its center. We've got to look beyond that struggle, that which has suffering at its center, into that promised land that has God as its entire center into this beautiful, eternal home that God has promised. So tonight, where is our focus? Do you know that even Jesus Christ, even Jesus Christ the Lord, during his earthly experience and, and the passion and the struggling and, and facing the cross and all that horrible stuff, do you know that even Jesus, Scripture tells us, looked beyond, looked beyond, beyond the suffering. Look beyond where suffering was at the center to what lay beyond. Turn to me in your Bibles to Hebrews 12. It says that. Hebrews chapter 12. See, I can say first Hebrews and get this right. Hebrews 12. Jesus looked beyond that which had suffering at its center to that beautiful home of God. Hebrews 12, look at verses 1 through 3. It 
Where was his focus? Hebrews 12, beginning at verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we do that? Writer of Hebrews, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Who for the joy that he knew awaited him looked beyond the cross and the struggling and that which had suffering at its center and that, that terrible suffering that he would, in order to get through that, he looked beyond it. He looked to the joy that awaited him. Scripture says, Despising the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We despise some of the things that we go through. Some of the things we go through in this life are hard. We don't like it, and it's not comfortable. And we say, sometimes, God, why? When we get in those times, we need to step behind Jesus and follow his example. And what did Jesus do? He looked to the joy that was set before him. That made him able to endure that which he had to go through, even despising it. And guess what? At that point thereafter, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He got inside. He got past that which had aggravation at its center. Look at verses 12 through 16. The Bible says we need to do the same thing. Verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Sometimes, brethren, we go through things that lame us up that cause us to, to spiritually walk with a limp, we're hurt, we're burdened, we're aching. And he says, strengthen those hands. Be like Jesus. Look beyond that to what awaits you if you continue to walk faithfully with him. Pursue peace with all people. Talked about communication this morning. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Don't let the struggle and the aggravation and the misery that we have to go through in order to enter the kingdom, for through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom, don't let those things cause you to be bitter, cause you to give up, cause you to go spiritually lame, cause hardness of heart. Don't let them do that because you know that when you lose sight of what is most important, you may be like Esau. What did he do? Traded his birthright for a cup of soup. He traded all of eternity and all in, in the parallel here. He traded that which God was going to give him, his birthright, as it were. He, he traded his birthright and that which meant so much because he had pain in his belly. He had some pain. He had some aggravation. So he sought to get instant gratification for the aggravation. And he's willing to surrender his birthright. And sometimes Christians, we have a birthright in heaven. We have a birthright in Christ. If we're born again into Christ, we have this inheritance and we have all of this wonderful stuff that's waiting just inside. But we've got to go through that aggravation to get there. We've got to go through that sphere of earthly life with aggravation at its center in order to grow our faith and strengthen it so that we will get to that place where our heavenly birthright awaits. We are physical creatures living in a physical world. Sometimes it's hard to maintain our focus on the eternal and the spiritual, especially when we see nothing but trouble at every turn. A 
Brethren, we must retrain ourselves to constantly look beyond what we see with our earthly eyes. There is simply no emptier, more terrifying feeling in all the world than to lose sight of the Savior during the storm swell. There's no scarier, emptier feeling than to lose sight of the Savior and feel ourselves sinking during the storm swell. But Jesus is visible if we will only continue to focus on him instead of the storm. Let us not focus so much on the pearly gates that sphere with the aggravation at its center, but on the paradise that waits just beyond. Let us not focus on that entrance, which includes trouble at its center, but let us look farther into the city that has God at its center, that needs no light, that has no sin, that has no pain, that has no death, that has no sorrow. Let us look beyond the sphere. That's just the entrance. While it is true that trials serve a positive, purging, and purifying purpose in the life of a faithful Christian, and while it is true that we must through many trials enter the kingdom, it is not the many trials in order to enter, but again, the city of God, where God is at its center, that we must ever set before us and never lose sight of. There's a reason those walls were clear. Remember they made a jasper clear as glass? There's a reason those walls are clear. And that's so we can see what awaits inside. Brother Kaufman concludes, the climax of our homecoming, of course, will be the joy of seeing the Savior face to face. And in my Savior's face, all the tribulations of life shall be swallowed up in joy. Obviously, what I am about to tell you, I have no expertise in, I have no experience in, and never will, so I can only tell you secondhand. But I have heard it said by those in the know that when a woman has a baby, when that baby is born, and they lay that baby right there on mom, that in that moment, all of the morning sickness, all of the pain, all of the kicking, all of the birth experience, all of the pain that it took for that to happen, they don't even remember. Because of the beauty of that child. That God has allowed to be born through that. And what I want for us to understand tonight is that when we reach that place on Judgment Day where we are with the Lord and we are inside that gate, we are beyond that sphere with suffering at its center. We are beyond that gate because we must go through that gate to enter the kingdom. When we get to that point and we see our blessed Savior's face, and we are able to stand face to face in the glory of God, worthy by the blood of the Lamb and that alone. I truly believe that 
all of that struggle that we endured here to get there? With Paul, we're going to say, light affliction. Maybe. Maybe we're not even going to remember. Because it is going to so pale in significance to what is just beyond that sphere with the aggravation at its center. God chose the perfect illustration of what it takes to get to heaven. Let's not lose sight of the city that lies just beyond. The sphere where aggravation is at the center of so much of our problems. Let us use those like natural to build our faith and build it stronger. Let us go through that pearl and through that struggle in order to enter the kingdom tonight. If you are here, I hope you are encouraged. I hope you understand that our struggles are just a stepping stone that God uses to strengthen us to walk into that place. And he cries out through the writings of Paul and John and James and Peter same message. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, if you, and by Christian, I don't mean somebody that believes in God. I mean the biblical definition of a Christian. The biblical definition of a Christian, I-A-N is a Hebrew suffix, which means belonging to. Hence the word Christ, Ian, means one who belongs to Christ. And those who belong to Christ are only those who have heard the gospel, those who believe the gospel, those who are willing to repent and turn to him, those who are willing to obey him because they love him, they trust him enough that, that Jesus said you must be born again of the water and the spirit. That's born again of the water and the spirit in one action. Those people who love him enough to say, you know what, I love God and I trust him, I'm going to do that. And then you're in Christ. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. If you've never done that, then all of your struggles are just going to be struggles. And you don't have that hope of what lies on the other side after that sphere with aggravation at its center after you've gone through that pearly gate, as it were. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you don't want to face God in that situation. You need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. May cause you some tribulation. Maybe some folks that don't like it. Maybe some former friends or family or co-workers or people that don't like it because all of a sudden you've gone and done the right thing and it reflects badly on them. But brethren, and if you're not a brother or sister in Christ, it is through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom. Yeah, there's going to be some struggles. Yeah. Because you can't enter the kingdom without it. Because your struggles grow in faith. And as your faith grows stronger, you become more and more useful to the master to be in his house forever. If you've never been baptized into Christ, do you need the prayers of the church to be stronger? <laughs> Somebody once said, never pray for patience because God will put you in a situation where you need to grow some. <laughs> you need the prayers of the church tonight to be stronger. Just be aware. God will put you in a situation where you need to be grow to be stronger. But that's a good thing. If we can help in any way, please come to the front as we stand and sing.